Hey everyone, it's so good to have you back at the Enduring Churches podcast. This is Trent. I'm here with Alan. Uh, man, it's fall, and I'm I'm excited <laughs> because I'm liking this fall weather. Uh, at least as we're recording this, it may not be when you listen to this, but we hope that you do listen. And we're excited that you uh, have taken a little bit of time with us today. Um, and so, um, Alan, you know, as we're talking with pastors and church leaders and we're planning you know what things we should preach about and we're we want to be i don't know what the word is i i guess we want to be proactive in talking about our culture and things that are going on and so we're always thinking and looking around and so today we kind of want to talk about some of those things that we that we should be thinking about right yeah so last week um i was asked to teach a little seminar at, at church. So we kind of had a day, they used to call it an apologetic Sunday, but it's kind of a one-off Sunday where we take our Sunday school hour and do some different things with it. And I was uh, teaching a class on what is drawing the next generation and what is pushing the next generation away from the church. So how do we draw them in, but also what pushes them away? And so some of this kind of comes out of what I was doing and preparing for that. But I think there's some things that if you're paying attention, you're probably preaching on these things and you haven't thought about those things. So I thought it might be good for us to maybe give some of these some some direct conversation and uh, talk about them so that maybe pastors can be aware. These are some of those things that you're wrestling with while you're preaching. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you did that for us today. And, and you know, as we think about these issues. Yeah, Alan. We could say, well, these are, you know, issues that just young people, but uh, as I was at this big um, evangelistic event this past uh, first part of the week, you know, in our area, I was realizing that, you know, it's really the the issues that different age groups are dealing with are harder to define because everybody's dealing with so many issues. And so I think this is this will be good for a lot of folks. Yes, it's not just it's not just one generation this actually i think are issues that now transcend the generations they may be more evident in what we would identify as gen z but i think these are certainly true in every generation so anyhow we've got five of them let's let's kind of jump into them and the first one i think of course i think it's easy to to uh, see it but it's the issue of identity and from that standpoint what i want us to talk about is what does it mean to be in christ because that is really where identity begins there's so much talk today about find your authentic self but the bible tells us to lose ourselves in christ so i think that's something that we really have to be mindful of when we're preaching uh, yeah i'm glad you started with this one because um so many of the others we're going to talk about hinge on this first one um, and, and people are struggling with, you know, what am I supposed to be about? You know, the old joke about, uh, you know, my teenager's trying to find himself, but he's always looking in the refrigerator. Uh, and so uh, I'm not sure what, what the deal is, but our, all of us are trying to find out who we are. And we need to realize that we can be in Christ if we trust him. Even he's, He is our creator but we need to come to him. And then that changes our whole life. It changes our whole outlook and the things that we, you know, we're about things that we do, things that we worry about 
all those things. So I think being in Christ and realizing that is huge. Yeah, when you do a Bible study, Bible study on that word in Christ, that little phrase right there, it's just so enlightening and, and teaches you so much about who we are um, because it really is an identity statement. And I'm, I'm preaching chapel next week up at a, at a college that is a Christian college, but most of the on-campus students are international students and athletes. Many of them are not believers. And one of the issues that I'm talking about this coming week is this issue of identity. Um, it comes out of the text, and I'm excited to talk about that. And we're going to begin that discussion with this idea of reputation. What's your reputation all about? So this issue is not going away. People are struggling with identity. And one of the problems I think we run into is this idea, well, when the church is trying to affirm our own identity all the time, you know, well, this is who I think I am. Well, the question isn't really who we think we are. It's who does Christ think that we are? And if anyone is in Christ, that person becomes a new creation. The old has passed away. Everything becomes new. And I think that really is foundational to what we do in the role of spiritual formation and discipleship. So the issue of identity, that's, that's a huge one. And I think closely linked to that is this issue of anxiety. I think when time looks back on Gen Z, they're going to be known as the anxious generation. But I think after a, a bout of COVID and worldwide pandemic and wars going on all over the place and social media, everybody's anxious about something. Yeah, we tend to pin that on the younger folks, but it's they're just the ones that are more open about talking about it. Honestly, it's all generations. It's just that older generations were told, well, you don't need to tell anybody about that. Or they believe that, you know, that's personal. And so young people are talking about it. And they're talking about all the things that are affecting them. But, you know, how this ties into being in Christ to me, and I love how scripture says in Christ and not agreeing with Christ, not with Christ, it's in Christ. And so that means that we are, we are protected by Christ. Um, we, you know, we are provided for by Christ. Uh, so it, it's so much more than, hey, I just, I like Jesus. Well, that's great. But I am in Christ as a follower of his. As I've, I've almost quit using the term Christian, Alan, because so many people use that and they don't know what it means. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then to me, that says more. Yeah, you know, a guy named Mark Sayers has kind of done a lot with this term called the non-anxious presence. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, one of the things when we think about anxiety and, you know, having a daughter that has an anxiety disorder, I've certainly seen different aspects of anxiety. But I think that one of the things where we get caught up on is we want to solve the anxiety issue. Well, you just need to cast all your cares on the Lord for he cares for you. And that's mm. true. I mean, we believe that. But I think the reality for the church today is that doesn't change the unsettled nature of life. There's so much that's unsettled out there. I think what people are looking for is not so much that we be the answer, but that we be the calming influence, that we be that, that, that something that is steady. And that's who Christ is. Christ is the steady one. We, we, when we say cast your cares on him, for he cares for you, 
it's because he's rock solid. And I think that the role of the church and of church leaders is this idea that we be the non-anxious presence in the room. You know, when the world's collapsing outside and, you know, we're on the verge of potentially World War III going on, how do we be the non-anxious presence when, you know, they come to you and, hey, my teenager's struggling with this or that, or, you know, they've moved out of the house. How do we be the non-anxious presence? In their lives that's an important issue for us and so that's that's something that i really feel strongly about mm. i'm so glad you mentioned that book because i just got that book this past week and i'm just starting to read it uh, that's great and, and so uh, it's a not the name of the book is the non-anxious presence right by sayer did i get that all right um i have to look up the exact title of the book i i've actually only not read his book i've read excerpts from him regarding the book and it's been quoted in a ton of books that I've been reading, but it's called a non-anxious presence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a small book. I would encourage you to get it. I, like I said, I'm just starting to read it. And so I would encourage you to take a look at that because this is a topic that is facing so much of our culture these days. And, and, you know, um, as you were saying, Alan, I think that we are called <clears throat> as followers of Jesus Christ to be, the people that are that calming influence, the people that are steady, not the ups and downs, the roller coaster people, but that we're steady because we're following Jesus and he is that rock solid presence. He, we can count on him and our churches should be the same as Alan said and not you know bouncing around, not following every fad that comes along, but something that people can count on. And I think our culture is looking for that so much, Alan. Well, and that brings us to that next one, because I'll give you an example and then I'll explain it. One of the items of research were why are people of millennials and Gen Zers not getting married? And one of the things that they determined was, is that they are afraid that if they get married, that their marriage won't last. They expect it to fail. So they don't want to have failure hanging over their heads so they choose not to get married so they don't run the risk of failing that relationship and i thought wow that really says a lot but the issue of failure i mean let's just be honest no one wants to fail we don't like failing and when you have cancel culture like we have cancel culture today it is scary to think about failing. And so there's an issue of failure and we need to address this issue. And many of you probably are addressing this issue, but maybe not directly. Yeah. And so, you know, think about, we have really multiple generations now that have not been allowed to experience failure in a safer space as a younger person and learning how to work through failure. And so, yeah, that's it causes you to be scared when you've never had a chance to work through that and learn those skills to be able to bounce back or to learn from that, then you, you know, it's just scares you to death to think about, well, as an adult, I don't know how to deal with this. And marriage is one of those areas where, man, it seems so, you know, it's so in your face and it's so, you know, it 
this is a, such a huge part of our life. How do we deal with this? And it does seem like a failure if we, and if you go into it with the expectation that it's not going to last, then it's understandable. There are anxious thoughts about that. Yeah, so this whole idea of failure, am I free to fail? And most people don't feel a freedom to fail. Now, we're not talking about even necessarily moral failure or any of those other types of issues. We're just talking about failure in, in general that you're not going to be the perfect employee. You're going to miss a deadline. You're going to cost your, your company some some money. You're, you know, you're going to make a bad investment. You're going to have failure in your life. And the, the issue of failure is something we all face. I was given a word of wisdom years ago to not be afraid to ask the question in the interview process, what happens when I make a bad judgment or I make a mistake? In other words, when I fail, how are you going to respond to that? And I think it's very important for us to, to learn and create an environment where, you know, failure is, is allowed and failure is understood. And I think we can learn a lot by kind of building up the courage to try. So I think that that's just something that, that we're talking about. We may not have identified that one, but I think as we talk about it, you can kind of see how important that is. And of course, Trent, you mentioned something else, the, that how do you bounce back? Well, I think that's the corollary. So this one kind of is a two-parter, spirit failure, but there's also the bounce back factor, resilience. You know? mm -hmm. What do we do with this word resilience? Yeah, well, and I want to talk about that, but I have to, I have to tell everybody, if, if you're a young person or anybody looking at jobs, you should remember what Alan just said. Ask that question, what happens? when I mess up? What happens if I make a bad judgment call? I think that is a wonderful interview question. Um, and so, man, I, if you're looking at interviewing or you have a young person in your family that is, remember that because that can take away some anxiety when you know those things ahead. And then that what Alan was saying about the issue of resilience, being able to get back up when you've been knocked down, bounce back, um, I think that's that's the part that maybe people haven't been trained to do uh, because we haven't allowed them to fail is learn how to get back up again. And then we've been trying to fill that with lots of self-esteem when getting back up is what creates self-esteem. Yeah, this issue of resilience is so important for us because we are in a generation that, you know, someone called it uh, lawnmower parents i've heard the, that phrase where you know parents want to go out and mow all the grass so that you know kids never have to risk failure they never have to do anything challenging and the problem is they don't learn you know to get to get back up when they've been knocked down and we don't have a very resilient culture right now it's like mm -hmm. knocked down i'm just going to stay down but then you look at it we still always love uh, an underdog story, you know, in sports, if there's a big underdog, people, people love the underdog. And most of us, let's be honest, we're underdog. Uh, we're, we're not worldwide famous. We don't have oodles of money. Um, we're, we're really trying to get by. And this idea of resilience is really what separates people 
um, one group of people from another group of people is the ability to when you're knocked down to get back up and so we we love those stories but be willing to to get back up you're going to get knocked down this life is going to knock you down and the bible tells us in ephesians 6 after having done everything to stand firm that's the goal is to be left standing mm-hmm. oh, i'm so glad you said that and you know as, I, as we're talking about this alan i'm thinking about our listeners that you know church leaders uh, pastors you're going to get knocked down um, and this is going to be an area that that may be real close to home for you is to be able to get back up um, maybe you've you come into a church setting and and the first you've been through the first year the honeymoon period and all of a sudden somebody schmack knocks the slats out from under you and and so i want to encourage you to get back up again um, this is going to be proof it's going to be encouraged by your calling but it's also going to be proof that that somebody can can follow your leadership as if you're willing to get back up again as a pastor so there you go i'm being a cheerleader for you i'm being for those pastors that's right and we know it's hard you you are you're going to get knocked down be willing to get back up i think we're going to probably do a podcast on that pretty soon that that very issue you know how how do we keep leading when we don't feel like leading anymore but i also think trent with this resilience factor we need to remember too when you're preaching on challenging subjects that there's this tendency to kind of i just really got to deliver that knockout punch and i know how it is for pastors whenever you preach a challenging message you know and you step on toes people pat you on the back oh you really got to me there pastor and they, they they do all that kind of stuff you don't get a whole lot of, and you really encouraged me to, but resilience is an area where you need to be mindful to be an encourager to your church. Remember that there are some people who feel beat up in life every week who are showing up and they're not sure they can get back up. And you have, I believe, a God-given responsibility as their spiritual leader to encourage them to stand and so i just want to just want to encourage you pastors if you've been beat up stand recognize your people have been beat up encourage encourage them to stand but we don't back away from the challenging thing let's talk about one more one one last issue trent and this kind of changes the tone we have had identity anxiety failure resilience and now morality we don't talk about it much in the pulpit anymore but we probably should yeah probably should do a whole lot more and this is an area you know not just talking about uh, those in, in ministry leadership but everyone uh because the everyone i think is dealing with this question of what is that especially those people outside the church they're like well if if it's my truth versus your truth then how do i know what's moral and what's not moral and and there's there's all this gray area to most of our world and even to most of our church. I mean, based on settings that are studies that Barna has done and, all, and many other groups, even within the church, there is a question about what is right and what's wrong because people don't read their Bible. They don't look and see what scripture says. So uh, the issue of morality is a huge area. And so 
we we had the opportunity to be preaching and, and teaching about how individual choices do affect others, Alan. And and I was as I was looking at your note on that, I was thinking, you know, I can't think of a single sin that doesn't affect someone else. Uh, maybe somebody else can tell me one, but I, I can't think of one that doesn't somehow affect someone else. Well, as we're recording this, it's too early in the day for me to think, so <laughs> I won't try either. But I think that you got this this idea with morality that we want to prescribe morality. I think there's a desire for many pastors to prescribe it. And I think many pastors have recognized, well, that doesn't work. I can't tell people how to live their life because they're going to tune me out. I'm going to lose them. That doesn't work. As much as I want to, as much as maybe I should, it doesn't work. So how do we do that? And I think it's really the issue of how do we frame morality in a way where people get it? That this idea of moral relativity, that what's moral to me isn't moral to you and vice versa, that our world has bought into and now is bumping up against itself, not knowing what to do when, when people who thought they were on the same side, but they have a different viewpoint. You know, what, what do they do with that? Well, because every decision you make does affect someone else. And so morality does need to be framed within this. Not only am I responsible to God for my morality, but I am responsible to others for my morality as well. And I think we have to frame, frame both components of morality to be effective in talking about morality because your decisions do affect others and we are kingdom people. And when we affect God's kingdom negatively, it's usually because of moral issues. Well, and as we think about being uh, people in the church, uh, people who claim to be followers of Jesus, then if we kick out God from this whole argument and whole discussion on morality, then we have no basis to base our morality because then it just becomes about us. It's my truth versus your truth versus, you know, what you think, what you like. It, it really becomes about preference and preference can never be steady when it comes to morality. Um, and so you do have to have God in the middle of this discussion. And so I, that's what I would encourage pastors is to say, hey, you know, you need to have God in the center of this to be able to have any kind of discussion or have any kind of standard to begin with. Yeah, so there you have it, Trent. I think, you know, when you think about those five things, I, I would venture most pastors have been preaching on those and been thinking about those. But we definition and specificity. To them, Ooh, I said that successfully on a Friday <laughs> morning. I'm really happy. About that. So anyway, um, I hope that these things will be helpful to you to recognize that. Maybe you want to even take one or two of them and, and flesh those out in your own Bible study. I think it could be really helpful. I think there's a lot of great resources out there if you want to jump into some of the things on, on Generation uh, Z or something like that. I think a lot of these tools help beyond the generation um or if we can help you directly please don't reach out uh, please reach out i'll be glad to share share with you some of the resources that I, I found on that but um i think these are important topics important things for us to remember yeah i appreciate that you put this together for us alan i'm excited 
and and these are this is real stuff this is where rubber meets the road kind of things and i would encourage you to, to not shy away from them pastors but we do appreciate you taking time with us today and we want to be a support for you and encourager for you uh, we hope that you'll go and listen to some of our other um, podcast topics if you haven't already uh, and please help us by giving us a good review or giving us a five-star rating or, and sharing this with other folks that would be a blessing to us and we want to be a blessing to you so thanks for tuning in to the enduring churches podcast today